You're listening to Lunchtime Movie Review from LunchtimeMovieReview.com, and we are the children of the age. Welcome back to Lunchtime Movie Review, the podcast where we look back at our childhood favorites to see if they stand the test of time. I'm Patrick, and with me this week is... I'm Chris. I'm Jay. And this week we're reviewing 1989's UHF, starring Weird Al Yankovic. But before we get to our review, a quick word from our sponsor. There's just one place to go for all your spatula needs. Spatula City! Spatula City! A giant warehouse of spatulas for every occasion. Thousands to choose from in every shape, size, and color. And because we eliminate the middleman, we can sell all our spatulas factory direct to you. Where do you go when you want to buy name brand spatulas at a fraction of retail cost? Spatula City! Spatula City! And this weekend only, take advantage of our special liquidation sale. Buy nine spatulas, get the tenth one for just one penny. Don't forget, they make great Christmas presents. And what better way to say I love you than with the gift of a spatula? Spatula City! Spatula City! Hello, this is Cy Greenbloom, president of Spatula City. I like their spatulas so much, I bought the company. Spatula City, seven locations. We're in the yellow pages under spatulas. My, where did you get that lovely spatula? Spatula City, we sell spatulas, and that's all. Uh, who's got the summary this week? I do. Channel 62 has the lowest ratings in the history of television. What they need is a new station manager. No, not him. Forget it. No way. A man of action. <laughs> a man of courage. A man of vision. What's your name? Billy. Billy what? What they get is a man so desperate, he'll put anyone on the air. Hey, Stanley. Yeah, George? How would you like your own TV show? Okay. You get the drink from the Fire Hose! Okay, you ready? Yeah! Open wide! He's Conan, the librarian. Today, we're teaching poodles how to fly. Once upon a time, before there was cable TV, before satellite TV, there was broadcast television. The early stations aired in the very high frequency, or VHF, spectrum. These stations were found on channels 2 through 13 on your television dial. You see, kids, back in the day, before remote controls, people had to get up and walk over to their TVs to change the channel. The VHF stations were usually major network affiliates like NBC, CBS, and ABC. In order to create greater competition, the FCC eventually started to license television stations using the ultra-high frequency spectrum, or UHF. These stations were found on channels 14 through 83. The existing television stations and networks did not like the added competition, and even went so far as to pressure television manufacturers to make the UHF dial a free-flowing dial, similar to radio dials of the time, 
so viewers would have to tune in the UHF station. This created a rivalry between the two spectrums, which is the basis for 1989's UHF. The movie starts with our hero, George, played by Weird Al Yankovic, daydreaming while working at a fast food place. He manages to get himself and his friend Bob fired. George and Bob go back to their shared apartment and learn their neighbor, Cooney, is teaching a bunch of stupid karate students. The plot thickens when George's uncle Harvey wins Channel 62 in a poker game, and George's aunt convinces Uncle Harvey to let him manage the station. George and his girlfriend, Terry, go to the station. There, they meet Pamela, the receptionist-slash-wannabe-reporter-slash-wannabe-nanny, and Philo, the station's engineer and resident resident. We next see R.J. Fletcher, the owner of rival Channel 8, chastising his employees and firing Stanley, the janitor, played by KKK Kramer himself, over a misplaced file. George shows up at the station to deliver a package that was brought to Channel 62 by a mistake as a gesture of goodwill. He has the misfortunate pleasure of speaking with R.J., who threatens to have George arrested for trespassing. So he leaves. On the way out, George sees Channel 8's people abusing Stanley and watches him take Stanley's prized mop. George has a soft spot for orphans of crusty mops and decides to offer Stanley a job at his station. George also hosts his own kids' show, Uncle Nutsy's Clubhouse, a cheaper and less fun version of Bozo the Clown Show. Hell, it's even have a grand prize game. George's show was so awful, the live studio audience hated it. In fact, the whole town seemed to hate the channel, as was losing money big time. George and Bob stay late one night trying to figure out a way of their financial mess, causing George to forget about his dinner date with Terry and her parents. Terry calls and breaks up with George. George is distraught over the turn of events, and his performance on Uncle Nutsy reaches new and depressing lows. George and Bob leave the show while still in progress to get a drink at a bar, leaving Stanley to host the kids' show. While at the bar, the other bar patrons are enthralled by Stanley's performance, and George and Bob realize a star is born. This small success inspires them to start new shows for their channel to go along with the new Stanley Spadowski's Clubhouse. Wheel of Fish! Hosted by Cooney. Philo's Secrets of the Universe, where Philo teaches how to make plutonium from every diet of items. And Raoul's Wild Kingdom, where Raoul teaches poodles how to fly. And finally, my personal favorite, Conan the Librarian. They incorporate a philosophy that some unnamed podcasters tend to use. Start a show and con all your talentless friends to help you for free. Hey, I'm offended by that remark. No, you resemble that remark. No, you're the talentless friends. I'm the guy that helps start the show. (laughs) With these new shows, Channel 62 becomes number one, much to the ire of Fletcher and the rest of the Channel 8 crew. Back at the pool, Uncle Harvey, remember him, finds out he has lost $75,000 gambling on horses and needs to pay his bookie in two days. Conveniently, Fletcher finds it necessary on the same day to buy Channel 62 to keep his station number one. How much should Harvey sell it for? Hmm. If you guess the price of his gambling debt, then you too are as weird as Al. Fletcher, of course, will have to close Channel 62 since one person cannot own two television stations in a single market. And forget that whole FCC approval thing. This deal will take place in two days, whether you like it or not. George convinces Uncle Harvey to hold off on the sale to Fletcher to see if he can raise the money. George gets the brilliant idea to rally his employees and hold a telethon. Fletcher's goons kidnap the rising star Stanley, and as a result, the donations fall. George and Cooney rescue Stanley in one final brawl and bring him back to make a telethon a success. Uncle Harvey's bookie gets paid off. 
The town learns what a slimeball Fletcher is, and George gets the girl. Ladies and gentlemen, UHF. All right, UHF. Uh, Chris, when did this come out? This was released in July of 1989. It was the same week as Shag the Movie. Isn't that the prequel uh, was, to Austin Powers? Uh, it was probably <laughs> yeah, the baby. better version of Austin Powers. Oh. It was kind of a precursor to Love Guru. Oh, okay. That's, that, that makes more sense. Uh, let's see. This movie was released the same month as Lethal Weapon 2, my uh, all-time favorite weekend at Bernie's, License to Kill, When Harry Met Sally, Friday the 13th, Part 42, Jason Takes Manhattan, <laughs> Turner and Hooch. This movie, it grossed over $6 million, and considering it probably cost him about $2 to make, I think that was a huge success. <laughs> it was the 105th highest grossing film of the year, just behind the aforementioned Shag, the movie. The uh, big blockbuster movie, Roger and Me, and the music box. It did finish in front of Shirley Valentine, Immediate Family, and Millennium. So, July of 1989, Jay, do you, what was going on in the world at that point in time? A couple of things big. United Airlines DC-10 crashes at Sioux City, Iowa, killing 112 and spawning some awful, awful made-for-TV movies. Uh, Burma put author Ong uh, Suu Kyi under house arrest. That lasted until 2012 or 2010. And uh, recently, in June of this year, she was finally able to deliver her acceptance speech for the Nobel Peace Prize she won back in 1991. Uh, Fox TV uh, beat out the other networks and claimed um, first in the ratings. And the number one songs for July of 1989, uh, Baby Don't Forget My Number by Millie Vanilli, Good Thing by Fine Young Cannibals, If You Don't Know Me by Someplace I Can't Read My Handwriting. I believe it's um, simply red. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you don't know me by now, sorry. By now. Let me try that again. If you don't know me by now, by simply read. And the last uh, song, "Toy Soldiers" by Martika. I do not remember "Toy Soldiers." So pretty uh, much what you're telling us is this really was the summer of love. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Airplanes is... falling out of the skies, UHF in the movie theaters. Absolutely. Yeah. Jay, once again, your news is always uplifting and takes me right back to the those romantic childhood days of the remembering people being in, imprisoned in Burma and planes going down and shitty music all through the month of July. I do what I can. I, um, I, I can take you back to your childhood, and this is the month that your camp counselor molested you, Patrick. No, 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 no. That was a few years earlier. I believe his name was Shona, if I remember correctly. <laughs> We've discussed that on a previous episode. Um, Did you get the glow? <laughs> all over oh, me. He got it all right. He got it all <laughs> night long. And it wasn't red, let me tell you. It was not. You got to eat more vegetables. Apparently. So, UHF, the, well, basically, the one and only Weird Al Yankovic film. Jay, this was your pick. <laughs> so, let's let blame lie where it needs to. What What do you remember about this film as a kid? What I remember um, about this movie is that um, the plot is completely forgettable, and I forgot about it. But what really <laughs> makes the movie um, really stick out is all of the, the all the spoofs and the complete non sequitur cutscenes that just made this movie for me and made it so memorable, like the spoofs of the Indiana Jones 
Conan the Barbarian becomes Conan the Librarian. Uh, there's a whole, whole Rambo sequence there towards the end of the movie. And then the whole non-sequitur uh, scenes, which were like Spatula City, of um, a commercial for a store that only sells spatulas. And it has kids being excited about going to Spatula City, young lovers giving spatulas as Christmas gifts. And the other one that sticks out in my mind is uh, the Plots RS commercial for a um, mortuary service that now has a salad bar. Those are all the things that I really remember about UHF and really liking, really liking the movie. Well, and Chris, I've, and I've known Chris since high school. And Chris, my memory, and I might be outing you here, is you were a weird Al Yankovic fan. I like his style of humor. Yeah, okay. yeah, definitely. Do you re- did you see this film in the theater at the time? You know, I don't think I saw it in the theater. I do remember renting it. Uh, at uh, Blockbuster back when they still had uh, business and uh, and watching it quite a bit. Yeah, I, I don't really remember being out uh, all that long, but uh, it was one that I enjoyed watching as a kid pretty much for the same reasons you just mentioned, Jay, that uh, it's, it's a lot of very funny one-liners. You know, having talked to you brief, briefly before recording this, that you kind of both mentioned that. And I I worked in the movie theater around the time this came out, we didn't actually get this film. I didn't see it probably for a while, and I saw it on video. Well, I probably saw it on Comedy Central, and I don't know if I've ever seen it from beginning to end because I thought it looked kind of stupid at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, I hope I'm, 20 years changed that. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that The 20 years and the head injury apparently took care of that. I remember even at the time that I liked Weird Al Yankovic for his videos, and I liked him in small doses, but I didn't know if I'd like him in a film. And he had made Owl TV and everything up to this point, and a 90-minute movie didn't interest me that much, and I think that's what took me so long to see it. I remember the preview. I remember um, seeing the little snippets, and up until now, I don't think I've seen it from beginning and end until just finishing it up this week. So... I can't say that I was a big fan of the film, although I kind of liked Weird Al when I was a kid. I, I liked his parody videos. They were funny. But I would go to argue that this is somewhat, this is almost, uh, Jay and I were talking about, almost kind of like Kentucky Fried Movie, where it's a bunch of little snippets, but they really tried to tie it together with a barely their storyline that just isn't very effective. I feel like they wrote the plot out on a napkin uh, the day of the shoot. That they they had a bunch of ideas, just like you said, of what they wanted to do, and they figured out as they were going how to tie it all together. I think it kind of goes with, you know, pretty much Weird Al's style, where it's basically um, it's not meant to be professional or or anything that serious so i think if you're a weird al fan and you know what to expect from him this fits him perfectly and i kind of and i can i completely agree i mean the plot is just there um to try and tie in everything it's or i think i said in another way previously was it's just a vehicle to get the humorous clips out there um it's an ends to a means really well, you know, and I agree with it, that it's it's all in Weird Al Yankovic vein. I mean, if you don't like Weird Al, you're not going to like this movie. But mm-hmm. um, one thing I did notice doing the research for the film, it's directed by Jay Le- uh, Levy, who also wrote the script with Weird Al Yankovic, who also directed most of his music videos and has been his manager since the early 1980s and, from my understanding, still is his manager today. Uh, that being said... Maybe they should have had someone who wasn't drinking the same Kool-Aid as Weird Al Yankovic to be involved in the creative process of this, because I think that's ultimately why it does fail. They made a movie 
that they thought was funny to them, but it didn't appeal to a mass audience. It's only going to appeal to a limited audience, and even their limited audience. I was part of that audience. I liked his his music videos. I could even stand an hour of uh, Al TV, but ninety minutes of supposed storyline doesn't work. Well, I, you know, I liked this movie back in the day, and after watching it for this podcast, I still like the movie. And uh, Jay Levy also um, was one of the creative inputs for Al TV that you mentioned uh, just a while ago. But, you know, I think the movie was written out with a specific audience in mind. It was for Weird Al fans. If if you like Weird Al, I think you're going to like the movie, or at least you're going to take you're going to like uh, certain parts of the movie. Yeah, I, I, getting back to the script, I do agree with you that it's weak and it's you know almost pretty much non-existent. But you know that's not what you take away from the movie. You take away from all the weird cutscenes and spoofs and parodies. It's very Family Guy uh, from the from the 1980s in that regards. No, I I would agree with you on that. That it's very probably ahead of its time because Family Guy does steal from it and that it cuts to various commercials and skits uh, or at random places. But, you know, it's, it's different from watching Family Guy on television, not paying anything for it and paying, you know, five fifty or six bucks at the theater to go see Weird Al basically do Weird Al. You know, there's not very much, there's not much difference in that. Do you guys, either of you know how much it costs to make this movie by any chance? If they spent over $100, they, they're robbing someone. So. <laughs> <laughs> My thought is, you know, if, if it, this is obviously a very niche market that they that they played to, so if they weren't spending a whole lot of money and it made six million dollars, then they're probably ecstatic just to break even on it. So um, I don't think it really mattered to them if you know if it was a Main Street hit or not, as long as they just stayed to to, to the vision that they had. Because even uh, even today, Weird Al still tours, but it's it's nothing big. It's just the people that still that are old enough to remember them pretty much. Well, and then, well, Chris, to answer your question, the movie had a budget of $5 million and made 6.1. And Weird Al still does fairly good going out on tour. He's also uh, branching out and doing um, other things. I think he's, partners, he's currently partnered with the Nerdist podcast and the Nerdist channel on YouTube. But think about it. I mean, all of his fans from the 1980s are all in their 30s or 40s, and they have kids, and they're introducing Weird Al. So it's a new generation that's being propagated that are Weird Al fans. So, I mean, he's he's not hurting for money. He's still pretty successful in that niche market. He's not got he's never had broad uh, market appeal, and he never will, and I don't think he ever wants to. I think he just wants to hit the people no. that make the things that he wants to. Yeah, I, I think he's got a pretty specific vision in mind as to what he wants. Well, and Jay, you make a, a lot of good points, and Chris brings up a really interesting question. Obviously, it made it made more money than it cost to make, although that's split between the actual studio and retailers. I'm sure it's made its money back now in video and DVD and all that kind of crap. But, th- but interesting enough, at the time, this film, this is a summer release coming from Orion Pictures, and based off the, the research that Jay and I came up with, the, Orion tested this. It tested extremely well. They decide to move it into the summer, and it is going to save Orion Picture Studios. This is the film that is going to be a huge blockbuster for them and save the studio. How could they be so fucking wrong? Is just <laughs> <laughs> Michael well, I mean, Richards' I mean, comedy gold. That's all I have to say. Well, did he? Okay, getting talking about Michael Richards. Did anyone? I mean, it was just proto Kramer. I mean, it was the same character, and uh, as Seinfeld. 
It was a cross between the Kramer and uh, the um, the vulture, the dumb vulture from the Looney Tunes cartoons. <laughs> he did kind of look basically like him. what that character was. Yeah, uh, that's one of the most interesting, and I think probably the one of the highlights of this film is the talent that they had. That they recognized obviously some talent. You have Michael Richards, who went on obviously to do Seinfeld, do Kramer became essentially a cultural pop icon in the 1990s. And then you had Fran Drescher in it, who was in a different sitcom that uh, I can't tell you what the name of her character was because I never watched The Nanny, but it was on for fucking ever. And they took two people who were almost relatively unknown. They'd done some television, they'd done bit parts in films, but were not major actors. And that they were able to, I don't know, if just recognize the talent of them ahead of time. Um, that, more than anything else, makes this film interesting to watch, to see these unknowns kind of break out. Well, I would, I would argue that Michael Richards even carried this movie. Oh, I would agree with you. He's, I mean, he's the most interesting on the character, I mean, or in the film, and mm -hmm. he's essentially, although Weird Al Yankovic's George character is supposed to be the hero, he's actually the hero. He's the one who helps raise the money. He's the one that they have to save to get the, to run the telethon and all that. Mm -hmm. Oh, you can definitely tell when when Michael Richards, that Stanley's character, is on, because that's when the movie has its most energy. And I, I, I would say that he almost steals every scene, but that's that's I think it's that that's going a little bit too far. But he, I definitely agree with you guys that uh, Michael Richards was a big find for the movie. But then um, Saturday Night Live's Victoria Jackson was also in this movie, and I think Patrick, you said that she had already been established SNL cast member for a couple of years at this point. Yeah, I think she joined in 1985 or 86, so she'd been on there for a while, and she had done a few films. She had been in Baby Boom, The Couch Trip, and she was one of the two leads, one of the two female leads in uh, Casual Sex with, uh, I think it was Leah Thompson. So she had, she's done some roles coming into this. But Oh, no, I was just going to say that um, I thought her acting was probably the most atrocious out of everyone in this movie. Well, she plays she seemed wooden and very she almost seemed high throughout the entire movie. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say that she plays the Victoria Jackson role well because that's she doesn't change from char from character to character or role to role. She plays kind of that dumb blonde like character and she did that on SNL and that's what she did in the other film roles that I remember her in. She does it on Fox News nowadays. She's on Fox News now? They, what, what the hell is she doing on Fox News? <laughs> no, she's pretty conservative these days, and you'll see her pop up every every now and again. Oh, that's bizarre. Going back to the point about saving Orion Pictures, though, were they high? <laughs> Not the actors, the people well, are Orion Pictures. <laughs> what, what can we compare for their choices? Do you know? Uh, prior to this, I know they did Bull Durham. Um, I know the year after this, they released Dances with Wolves, which is a huge hit and wins Best Picture. And then the year after that, they released Silence of the Lambs, which is a huge hit and wins Best Picture. And then they do go bankrupt in 92. But Weird Al and Silence of the Lambs might have been pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a completely different movie. Yeah. Um, but uh, put the lotion on. Yeah. <laughs> it puts the lotion on his skin or it gets the hose again. <laughs> As I'm going to have was... a friend over for a nice Chianti. Yeah. Oh, you Forget thought he was going to play Hannibal. I was thinking he was playing the James Gum character. But anyway, getting back to Orion, I mean, this movie, when it was tested in front of market audiences or test audiences, it did remarkably well. And just seeing how 
I want to know what the disconnect was between the test audiences to the audiences of July of 1989. It'd be interesting to see what Orion actually showed to the test audience. Because if it was just like a few clips here and there, I'm sure it was going to be pretty good, you know, the whole Spatula City scene or the music video. But if it showed the entire movie, then I have no idea. I have no excuse for why Orion thought this was going to be such a huge, big hit to save the, the studio. Well, my theory on that is they handed out the free tickets at a Weird Al Yankovic concert and brought those people in to watch the whole film and went, hey, these people loved it because you have to be a Weird Al Yankovic fan to, to like this film. I, I, it's hard for me to imagine someone who is like, oh, I, I hate Weird Al. I couldn't stand his music, couldn't stand his television show, but this movie was great. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that person doesn't exist. i got to agree with you. Chris, did you have anything else you want? Is there a deep meaning to this film that we're missing? <laughs> I doubt there's any meaning to this film other than what you see is what you get. But, uh, you know, I, th- I thought there was some just some weird things that they put in there. You know, like the they spent a fairly decent amount of time for, uh, what was the pet guy, Raul? Oh, yeah. What, you know, and uh, but he they showed his um, his little show, which was you know that was pretty funny actually, but it really did nothing to advance anything in the movie. You know, you, you eliminate him, and uh, you've got the same film. It's like they just put him in to make it uh, an hour and a half long film. <laughs> you know what? Actually, that was an interesting side point in my research. Um, the film was actually dedicated to him. I don't know if anyone noticed that. That's because he died really? halfway through production. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah. Well, he, that would explain why he wasn't part of the big finale. No, he wasn't there. And they're going, "Who is this guy? I don't know who he is." Yeah, that was a uh, that was kind of the most one of the more interesting things. Oh. Side notes is that he died halfway through production, so they dedicated the film to him. Very I thought it was comedic brilliance to see if uh, poodles could fly out of a third story apartment, <laughs> but... and not one, but a whole pile. Yeah, and I also learned that turtles are nat- uh, nature's suction cup audience of the podcast you can pretty much not watch this movie and just listen to us talk we're just going to give you the high points of the movie and all the jokes so yeah i would i'd be hard pressed to put high points (laughs) high point it ended low point after one minute it was still going (laughs) so what you're saying is this is in your maybe pile for uh, movies you're you're still undecided no <laughs> I now that I've seen the whole thing and I can properly judge this film with the benefit of time and seeing only portions of it over the last 23 years or so uh, I can safely say no it was not good So you should probably be high when you see it next time that'll make it more interesting it made me want to be high that, that I can tell you so I definitely wanted to smoke something sniff something drink something something to take away the pain but it, it was still there <laughs> My eyes still hurt. So. <laughs> so which do you hate worse, UHF or Last Dragon? UHF. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I don't like Last Dragon, and UHF was a worse film. I would put UHF down there. Huh. I don't know how you could dislike Last Dragon. If Tyler well, Perry was a child of the 80s, he would have made The Last Dragon. <laughs> All right. Here's but- my question for you before we wrap this up. You take Weird Al out of this movie... Uh, is it just as good? Uh, yeah, I, I actually don't think it's any different. I mean, it's just yeah, we, it's it's still a bad movie. If you take Weird Al, it, it probably doesn't exist because he helped write it. But it's I don't think I mean he they could have re- 
replaced him with any actor, put him behind the, the, the camera or something. Correct, yeah. I think you could have. Yeah. yeah. It, it yeah. might have it might have been a better film as far as acting because Weird Al is not mm-hmm. does not have a lot of range as an actor. Other than being um, obnoxious, I think that's his gift. He's very good at doing parody, but other than that, no. All right, should we wrap this bitch up and go home? Sure. Yeah. Jay, you you pick this. You get to go first. Well, I liked this movie back when I first saw it. I don't believe I saw it when it came out in the theater since it was a very narrow window, but it uh, gained a bit of a cult status once it was finally released to video. Um, that's where I first saw it, and um, I liked it then. And, you know, watching it now, the movie definitely has flaws, like this <laughs> plot and the poor acting. But I still like it. It's it's a vehicle for Weird Al. It's got some great spoofs from the time. It's got really funny non-sequitur little scenes, a la Family Guy of today. And uh, you know what? I, despite the fact that, I mean, it's spoofing pop culture from you know, 1989, it still stands the test of time because it's spoofing big things like Indiana Jones and Rambo. So I think it stands the test of time. Chris. You know, I cannot understand how 21 Jump Street got remade before this movie. <laughs> it is a classic. Uh, no one pays attention to UHF stations anymore, maybe? Uh, <laughs> I, I did like it when I first saw it as a kid, but, you know... I was a kid, and nowadays I need some form of a plot. And uh, this had absolutely none of it past the Indiana Jones scene, which they pretty much just stole from Indiana Jones. So I I have no – I really don't care for this movie these days. It does have a few good one-liners, but it's it's not something that uh, I would want to replay over and over. So, nothing good to say about it these days. Okay. As probably everyone can guess, I did not enjoy this film. Um, I didn't really see it completely until to, to watch it for this podcast. Um, I used to like Weird Al Yankovic when I was a kid. I even think some of his songs are okay now, but I don't find the film entertaining, the lack of a story, the overacting by most actors. There are some good elements in this. I, I think Fran Drescher and uh, Michael Richards both stand out but everyone else is just chewing up scenery. And it was just an excuse to throw together a whole bunch of skits tied with a, a very loosely veiled storyline that was uh, obvious and predictable. So, so no, I don't think it stands the test of time. I don't think it's a good commentary on um, today. I hope they never remake this. I hope they never re-release it. I hope I never see it again. Um, How do you really feel, Patrick? Yeah, it's, uh, that, that's basically... I. I of the films we've reviewed, I would say this is probably the worst film that we've seen so uh, that I've seen so far, and that's taking Starman and Last Dragon into consideration. So, but I just insult Chris. I guess this is my Last Dragon. Yeah, th- that is your Last Dragon. So, okay. Right now, I'd like to show you one of my favorite cartoons. It's a sad, depressing story about a pathetic coyote who spends every waking moment of his life in the futile pursuit of a sadistic roadrunner who mocks him and laughs at him as he is repeatedly crushed and maimed. Hope you enjoy it! Um, so, that being said, that was UHF. 
Come back next week as we review another one of our childhood favorites, or one of somebody's childhood favorites. I don't know whose childhood favorite this was, but it's, you know, Jay, I guess, liked it. But and see if it stands the test of time. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Lunchtime Movie Review or on Twitter under Lunchtime Movie. On each of those, you can keep updated on our new podcasts as they come out, as well as video extras, news about upcoming films, um, somehow connected to the 80s, uh, prequels, sequels, and remakes. And also, uh, let us know how we're doing uh, on the podcast by sending us an email at comments at lunchtimemoviereview.com. Finally, if you're a fan of the show, help us keep it going by visiting either Amazon.com or Audible.com through our website. Anytime you click on one of those links and make a purchase, a portion of your purchase goes to support the upkeep of the podcast. It doesn't cost you anything. It just costs costs you a little bit of time to create the extra step of going through our site to go to Amazon. Um, But it does contribute to helping us keep up with uh, some of the bandwidth and fees associated with the website and the podcast. Uh, actually, finally, uh, one of our little children of the 80s has now written a book, and he needs to promote the shit out of that. This is hopefully better than uh, UHF. <laughs> uh, Chris, what is your book? My book is titled Duty, Honor, Empire, a 25th century love story about a man and a girl and the wacky, wild things that happen to them in uh, America's future. Uh, feel free to stop by our site and look us up on iTunes. Okay, Chris, I hope it's a, a bestseller. So then you can pay for all our bandwidth and we don't have to hawk any more Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, uh, join us next week as we review another film and uh, we'll see you then. we got to get out of here right now and you guys are invited. Look here, people, listen to my story. A little story about a man named Jed. Good old something, that poor mountaineer. They say he barely kept his family fed. Now let me tell you, one day he was shooting. Old Jed was shooting at some food. When all of a sudden, right up from the ground there, well, it came a bubbling crew. Or that is, well, maybe you call it black gold, the Texas tea. He gonna move next to Mr. Drysdale and be a Beverly Hill. This podcast is not endorsed by MGM Home Entertainment and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. UHF, all names and sounds of UHF characters, and any other UHF-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of MGM Home Entertainment or their respective trademark and or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Lunchtime Movie Review, Movie House Memories, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted.